Well, uh, hi. Happy Sunday to everybody. You, you guys are looking spiff, as usual. Uh, next Sunday, I'll just go ahead and give you permission. If you want to wear grubbies to church, it's totally fine. So you can stay, right? You guys paid attention for the announcements? Work day next Sunday? So go ahead and wear your grubbies. You can go right into working. Now, that was awesome that Austin came and did that. But it's just one example of people who are contributing to the church and to the well-being of our fellowship here. And um, just be able to watch people serve is such a blessing from a staffing you know, perspective. Uh, just giving out of their heart. No expectation. Just I want to serve. I love Jesus. I love the church. I want to help. So when that happens and we get to watch it, it's beautiful. And uh, I realize that uh, some people get... Uh, paid or their check comes from the church, and um, I'm fortunate to be one of those people. Um, but there was a time where I didn't get a check from the church, and I had just as much joy as I do when I get a check from the church. Because really, when you, when you find yourself in a groove where you're serving because you want to serve the Lord because he's so good and he saved you, and it's like, wow, what can I do to help Jesus love people? I want to be a vessel for loving people. And, and I remember... When um, going back a ways, uh, I'd spent eight years working uh, at a nonprofit in town in the mental health area. And uh, I remember thinking when, when Pastor Brian talked to me originally about coming on full time, um, I said, okay, so let me get this straight. So I get Mondays off? Now, if I do some figuring out here, that means I get Saturday and, and I get Monday off? Because I would be here, or I'd be at the church at the time a few buildings ago. Uh, I spent my whole Sunday, I probably spent more time then than I do now on a Sunday serving the church. And it was such a blessing to my heart. Like, wow, I get to rest on Monday. I don't have to go to work bright and early. Now, for me, I was just like, wow, that's all like an extra day of rest. How wonderful is that? And the reason why I'm even saying that is because I, I, it didn't, it was just part of life. You just serve wherever you can, how often you can. And not that we want to exhaust ourselves by doing a bunch of stuff, but I would say there's so much blessing in just knowing I'm just here because I'm loved by God. And if I can do something to contribute to the overall blessing as a community, to our community and to one another, then I want to be a part of that. And I hope you share that heart. And if you don't know, uh, let's not get the cart before the horse. First, you need to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because you realize in that love that you are undeserving of the grace and the mercy uh, that God pours out in your life. And for that, that is the number one motivation we should have to do anything in life, right? It should be, I am an object of love and affection and forgiveness and mercy and grace by the God who created me who knows all of my sin and all of the things that I struggle with, and all the things that I wish I hadn't done, and he still wants me to serve him? Oh my gosh, where do I sign up? That's the motivation. And if it's not that, and all of us go through seasons where we can struggle with our motivations on why we do this, that, and the other, but let me tell you, if it's off, if it's anything but that, you'll get exhausted, you'll probably get frustrated, you may even get bitter. No one's seeing what I'm doing. No one's appreciating the efforts I'm making. And I'm not just talking about the church environment. I'm talking about in your home. I, when was the last time I got thanked by my kids or my spouse for what I do? I work so hard. You know, those kind of things. 
But if your motivation is this, God, I don't deserve anything. I am deserving of anything I deserve. It's wrath. It's payment for my sin. Um, and I didn't expect about going on like this this much, but it's, it's on my heart right now because I just heard that story, right? I wasn't even here for that. And I can't wait to go outside and see what happens. Now, again, we're not highlighting him so you can go, everybody, who's Austin? I got to find him. I got to prop him up, you know, um, so he can come to my house or my yard, <laughs> clean my stuff. Um, it's just a beautiful thing. And when you have a community of people that are like-hearted in that, man, you guys, there's power there. And it's a power that has effect eternally. Whether it's encouraging each other, where it's praying for each other, whether it's being available for one another to serve each other when we go through things and we need people and we need people to love on us and so on and so forth. And when there's just things that like, there's something that needs to be cleaned. Who's going to clean it? And, um, or there's something that can be organized. There's something of a ministry that has need of volunteers. Where can, I, where can I sign up for that? So it's not a guilt trip. We're not going to say, hey, twist your arm. Uh, if you don't come, God won't love you. It's quite the opposite. God loves you, so why not come? <laughs> Amen? So we're on this together. Serving Jesus is, there's nothing like it. And when you know that the Lord doesn't miss one thing, Think about that for a second. The, even when we talk about God, like in the book of Malachi, even when we talk about God, it, it talks about God writing. Uh, they were talking amongst each other about the goodness of God and, and about God in, in general. And it says that the Lord wrote a book of remembrance about those things, how, how engaged he is in his people and what we're doing. And when we serve him, he's aware of everything. So that's a good sermon. I don't even have to talk about what we're talking about today. But let's pray. And, uh, and by the way, after we pray, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you one. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you're worth everything and more. And God, when we get to heaven, it's, we're just not going to be sitting on clouds and passing the day due to boredom. We're going to be serving. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be loving in purity and holiness. And God, you've invaded our hearts and our lives, Jesus, like no one else. And because of that, we have every motivation to serve. Our spouse, our kids, our siblings, our parents, our brothers and sisters in Christ, this community, people that don't know you yet, God, that are still searching for truth and meaning in this life. God, we pray that you would have our way or your way in our hearts even right now and in the days to come, however much breath you give us, that we would use it to glorify your name, that you would use us as you've created us to use our gifts for the kingdom of God and that you, Lord, would get the, the glory that's due your name. Jesus, we love you. We give our tithes and our offerings, or we have already, I guess. But I thank you that each and everything that is done in your name, you see it. And Lord, somehow in your economy, you translate that to more blessing for us. The, the, the very crown that you give us, though, God, we're going to lay at your feet. We're going to throw it down as we see in Revelation. God, we're going to throw it down because you're the only one worthy of praise. 
We are simply vessels. So God, as we open your word, as we open the scriptures today, as we look at these things in your word, in the book of Acts, may you speak to us in a, in a powerful way that motivates us and moves us more in love with our Savior, Jesus, and more committed one to another. For we ask it in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and the ushers will get you a Bible. So continuing on uh, through the book of Acts, we like going through books at a time where we can break down the scriptures for everyone and hopefully, Lord willing, uh, glean some, some things from the text that are pertinent for our lives. And I, I want to throw up a map. You can't read the book of Acts without looking at a map, right? You, it's just, uh, I've never been to, uh, to this section of the world. I haven't traveled through it. Sometimes the names get confusing because they're ancient. But some of the things we're going to talk about this morning, I found to be quite accessible and actually still name the same things. So though I've never been at this part of what used to be Asia Minor, now Turkey, uh, that kind of beige area, that big section, it's all modern-day Turkey, but at the time it was Asia Minor. And you get those coastal towns, which includes Ephesus. Hopefully you guys can see it in the back um, or online. To the left, for facing the map, all of those, that whole area is still Greece. It was Greece then, but it was also areas split up like Macedonia. That, that name got kind of cut off there in the top left. And, and this is Paul's third missionary journey, and he's, he's going through these areas. The first missionary journey was mostly just in that Asia Minor, kind of the south. It's not listed up there, but like Derby and those places to the south, closer to the Mediterranean in that uh, Asia Minor area. But he, he went through these areas, those first two, including Ephesus, and he's, he's going on his third one to check on these different places, the different people that heard the message of the gospel and now are being changed and transformed, but still had a lot of things to learn and to grow in the Lord. So we see this arrows, arrows um, starting in Antioch to the lower right. He goes all through into Ephesus, and the previous chapter, 19, is where they had the big... Uh, riot, the big theater commotion. The whole city comes out and protests because basically Paul's hurting business. He's hurting business big time, right? The, the message of the gospel is impacting uh, the, the selling of, of things as far as false idol worship there. And so there's a big hubbub. And they get through that and they sail up to Macedonia. And then it says he comes down to Corinth, which is in Greece. You can see that in the lower left. Stays there for a few months. And he wants to go back to Jerusalem. Now, why does he want to go back to Jerusalem? Because we're going to see in the text here in a second that he wanted to get back for the feasts. And uh, the only other feast that he think he can make is the Feast of Pentecost. And we'll talk a little bit what, why that is. But he had desires to go back to what would be Syria, to Antioch, and down to Jerusalem. But instead, he hears, as Brian talked about last week, he hears about a, uh, a plot for them to kind of get rid of Paul. If he's going back with a lot of Jews going back for the festivals, there's festivals that Jewish went, people went back for in the, in the homeland, so to speak. And they're like, hey, if Paul gets on board, we're going to take care of this whole thing. So Paul gets word from the Lord, possibly through other people, uh, not to go. So he goes back up north to Macedonia. And right there, that city, there's Berea and Thessalonica. Now, you guys remember, what is Berea in the scriptures known for? The, 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 the community there of saints? Studying the scriptures, right? Heard what was being taught, went back to the scriptures, and actually saw for themselves 
if it was so? Should we, should we take in what Paul and his companions are giving us according to the revealed word of God? Uh, up there, Thessalonica, you know, there's uh, the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. That's the group of people there. And, uh, and then finally, it goes over to Philippi, which is to the north, uh, again, of the Aegean Sea. And then we pick it up in the scriptures in Acts chapter 20. So if you haven't turned there yet, turn to Acts chapter 20. Again, last week, uh, we talked about the, the companions of Paul and how he encouraged the saints in these areas. And uh, let me just give you the, well, the first few verses. Let's read together, verses 1 through 6. It says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. This is from Ephesus. And now we had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. Now we're recapping what I just said on the map. We're recapping in, uh, the scriptures here. And it says he stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, that is, his home, he decided to return through Macedonia. And it talks about, in verse 4, these different men that were his traveling companions, made up of men from these different churches, these different areas. It talks about Sopater of Berea, accompanied him to Asia, and Aristarchus and Secundus, uh, the Thessalonians. Um, many people think he was a, a slave who got saved, Secundus, I mean second, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So it's a whole like kind of representation of this whole area, different people, different cities, different men uh, that are accompanying Paul. And uh, those of you who've been, just as a side note, uh, really troubled by, you know, this just recent, this weekend's events uh, back east, it made me think of this passage, like how awesome it is. Every time we look in the scriptures, we see a coming together of different nations or different people groups, right? Be brought under what banner? Um, not, not a country flag, but, but the love, the banner of love, which is found in Christ Jesus. And that's really happening today still, right? We see the uproars from time to time of people group versus people group and whatnot. And, uh, and that's sad and it's evil and it's not to be anywhere near the kingdom of God because we're brought together, all nations. Can I get an hallelujah on that regard? Like, it's so beautiful. We have everything to celebrate in the vastness of cultures together. And there's no room for racism or whatever, feeling superior over anyone else. And the scriptures were told to esteem each other better than ourselves. It's hard to do when you're racist. <laughs> it's glorious. I, I remember as a kid, I was... I didn't know, I, okay, honest to God, truth, I didn't know I was Mexican until I turned 10 years old and I moved to a different town. <laughs> when I moved to that new town, I found out because someone told me. <laughs> and I had, you know, it didn't want me in that part of the county, I guess. You know, just keep walking. And I was like, what do you mean keep walking? And I went to my mom and dad and I'm like, hey, what, this happened today? And yeah, it was, ah, oh. <laughs> it, it still affect me. I'm still bringing it up. There weren't that many of us, I guess, in that town. And uh, I figured, you know what? Um, that's weird. I didn't know skin color mattered. I really came from melting pot first 10 years of life. I mean, our school pictures were filled with the, with the gamut of skin colors. So when I got to this new town, I'm like, oh, this is how it works around here. And as a 10-year-old, you're trying to process that. Anyways, the glorious thing is I didn't know the gospel then, but I sure have come to know now 
there's no place for racism. It's like, don't go away, come in. Don't get lost, get saved. Join the family. We're all in need of saving. Amen? So, it's a, it's a silly thing that's, in a sense, racism, because we're all one human race, and we all need saving. So that's, that's my two cents on current events. Also, hey, by the way, uh, there's plenty to stress about if you watch the news, right? Nuclear war is another thing. Nuclear war isn't good. Racism, is, racism isn't good. But <laughs> I felt I was on safe ground in a church saying those things. Um, but hey, don't let current events, and I have to remind myself of this too, don't let current events stress you out. Current events are in the hands of the eternal God. And nothing, as I read my scriptures, nothing happens out of his will. He's actually told us a few things about what's to come too, which is kind of encouraging. That when you see these things, don't be shocked. Just go, praise God, it's happening as he already scripted it's going to happen. Right? Rumors of wars, nation against nation, all these things. And it's just in a general sense, it's a comfort. It should be a comfort to our hearts that God has said what he wanted to say, and it's true, and it's coming to pass. And we're able to just be at rest and be at peace. And sometimes we need to tell our souls, soul, be quieted within me. Be still and know that that he is God, and he's in control. So... Okay, we still got to get through the scriptures. Okay. <laughs> so these guys, these guys go with him, going back to the map. Uh, it says in verse 5, These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. We're going to take the next, um, well, verse 7 through uh, 12. It's a, it's a, a scene that Luke, the writer, um, he writes the account of Troas, what happens in Troas. So we're actually going to skip those verses right now. We'll come back to them. Uh, and go on ahead to where else Paul continues with these companions who actually go ahead of him to Troas and wait there. Verse 6 says, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. That's the second spring feast of the Jews. Big events happening. It happens right after the Passover, by the way, the next night. It says, We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. So these guys are at Troas. They're waiting a week for Paul. He's coming with Luke. It says they, they meet him there at Troas. Jump down to verse 13 and it says, There we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, which is um, going back to the map. Sorry, I'm going back and forth here. You'll see we're starting to go south. So Troas is at the top. We're going to go south to these different spots. And, and, and Luke's very descriptive what's happening, where their uh, agenda is leading them. It says, they're intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself uh, to go on foot. So he's going to walk it. And why does Paul want to walk it as opposed to get a nice trip on a boat? It's because he had people to see. He cared about people. He cared about people all through this area, right? And it says, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios or Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the next day after that, we went to Miletus. So these things, uh, these places are just, he's just going south. And I was like, Lord, why would you just be so specific in the scriptures as to tell me like a map step by step where they went? But if you look at the map again, it tells us that he, Paul had ministered to so many people that, see where Ephesus is? 
to the east of Samos and to the north of Miletus. It says he went by there purposefully along the water so they wouldn't get distracted there because his main intention is to get back to Syria, back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He's hoping to get there by Pentecost. He's saying, Lord, if there's any way I can get back there. Now, how many days is it between unleavened bread and Pentecost? Anybody know offhand? 50. So, so he's like, it's probably going to, you know, if I go X plus you know, Y equals Z, I'll figure out how many days it's probably going to take me. I'd love to be there by uh, Passover. And Passover is what spark plugged the whole church movement, right? What happened at Pentecost, or not Passover, Pentecost, uh, the, the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit. There's something significant in the church life that has to do with Pentecost. He's like, I want to get back home, if you will. I want to go back to my homeland by Pentecost. But he knows if he stays and if he docks at Ephesus, which is another coastal town, he's probably going to be there a while because there's so much closeness between Paul and these people there, the elders there and the church at large. And gosh, he just went through a riot with them. If you go through a riot with other people, you probably bond pretty close with them, right? Like, hey, remember the riot? No, I don't remember that. That was just, I don't, what, can you talk about that a little bit more? Um, what happened at the theater? No. So he's like, I'm going to bypass Ephesus because I'm on my way somewhere else. And they hit these places. But can you imagine? At every place, he's going to be, I mean, the speaker's in town. Let's go see him. Paul's in town. Let's go see him. And I'm sure everywhere he went, I'm just going to gesture on my part, is that he had a crowd of mass. So he's purposefully going south on his way out of town, if you will. The interesting thing is in Miletus, it tells us that he calls the elders from Ephesus to come down and meet him there. He had, he had to bring them out to himself. He didn't go to them, which is more the norm, right, on his missionary journey. He says, in order for me not to stay there more than I, than I know I probably will be if I go to Ephesus, I want the elders to come to me down south a little bit. So that's the journey of Paul in this third missionary journey on the way back. And he has one more. And his ultimate desire, ultimate sense is that he's going to end up at Rome. He's going to be used by God to minister to the masses of the Gentiles via this opportunity through Rome. But what a journey. Just take a look at that map. I mean, talk about a gentleman committed to the gospel. Look at the journeys. This guy, by land, by, I guess, horse, by boat, everything, everyone seemingly want to kill him. He, he went through Macedonia from Greece because he heard of a plot for the Jews to get rid of him, like I was talking about earlier. He was just in constant awareness of his mortality. And I really want to appreciate, this is just one of his four journeys. So the fact that Paul and those who would say, sign me up to Paul, like these guys in the first, you know, verse four of chapter 20, they're like, sign me up, Paul. I'm going with you. I'll sail ahead of you. I'll go behind you. I'll wait for you. I'll travel alongside you. And, and the whole time they're, they're signing up for not a life of luxury and um, pampering. And it's much like the disciples. But the disciples, when they talk to Jesus, they're like, where else are we going to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. Remember that? There's good reason why you sign up for suffering if there's a bigger truth that you're signing up for. If you don't have a bigger truth, a bigger reality that uh, leads you to sacrifice, then you're kind of off your rocker. But if there is a bigger truth... There's a more meaning to be had. There's more, in other words, salvation is so important to be able to be shared to those that don't know the Lord yet that I'm willing to sacrifice. Man, that's the kind of truth that I need. I don't want, I don't want little truth. I want big truth. 
that'll lead me into suffering. Am I making sense? I want something like that, and it's given to me in the Lord Jesus to make suffering worthwhile. Now, with that being said, let's go back to the scriptures we passed over. Let's go back to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Luke, the writer, again, is going to feature these events in Troas. It's really something to behold in terms of a story. So uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we are gathered together to break bread, that is, uh, the Lord's Supper, Paul talked with them. These are the people with Tro- at Troas. Intending to depart on the next day, as he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. That's kind of an interesting way to just say he had died. Most scholars would just say, yeah, he was dead. But, verse 10, Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. What do you guys think about that story? Some reactions to that story? You're stealing my jokes. But you didn't say that the windows are closed. Whoever said that? Who said that? We have a similar sense of humor. <laughs> this is one story for a reason. If we go to two stories, you're like, I'm saying the first story. Anybody ever, now be honest, anybody ever, not today, anybody ever, not right now, <laughs> anybody ever struggle with sleep during a sermon? Everybody else pray for these poor souls. Anybody struggling right now? All right, we got one. Get her the coffee. Coffee ministry people. That's why we provide coffee so no one dies. You thought it was just You thought You thought it was just because it was a nice thing to do. No. We want people to live and that abundantly. Okay, I need to stop. I literally have in my notes a few jokes if you want Okay, this is the scriptures. We need to approach it with sober thinking. Um, the, Lord, the Lord created our senses of humor. Amen? It's good to laugh, right? Now, okay, so here's the deal. When I was studying this, I was like, yeah, I had all the easy softball. Give me a softball pitch. That's an easy joke. Um, but what I really found myself doing is kind of putting myself in the story of what would my reaction be to these events? And, uh, and then also, what would, what would be the reaction of the people there? Like the different people. And so I, I made a list. You can go to the next slide. The next slide is who was there and their possible reactions to this. Um, a couple of observations, though, before we get into their reactions, and that is, uh, look at verse, um, 
uh, 7, it explains why Paul went on and on as long as he did. Because I'm like thinking, Paul, you were kind of cruel here. <laughs> you know, the point where you're going on until that long. That I mean, talk about a sermon. However, um, it says in verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And I was like, well, why would you tell us that, Luke? Now, Luke's a doctor. He likes the facts. He was also uh, aware of different things. And I think one of the commentators I was uh, reading was talking about the fact that there's a lot of burning lamps, you know, oil lamps uh, in particular, uh, would be zapping some of that leftover oxygen. So he probably has a couple of factors. He's like, I want to throw this in. To the credit of, of Eutychus, there's a lot of oxygen being absorbed through burning. Uh, it was, I don't know how big the room was, but you can imagine it couldn't have been that big. So that and a combination of Paul and his teaching, as amazing as that would be to hear Paul go through the scriptures, there, it was long. And that's okay, right? It's, it's, we get tired. Not only that, but Eutychus probably came off since it was the first day of the week. He'd probably been working all day. And, and tough work at that, whatever he did. We're not told. But uh, so a long day, uh, end of the evening, he's probably like going, oh, Lord, I love you. I just wish this would end so I could go to bed. Uh, maybe. That's maybe what I would be thinking. Maybe you would too. Um, but anyways, it says there was a lot of lamps. So, so, but there was, a, am sure, a crowd gathered that, hey, Paul's here. Let's go hear him. And Paul didn't disappoint because he knows he, he has a schedule, right? He, wants, he has destinations in mind. He needs to keep going. He's like, if, if I'm only going to be here one day, one night, I'm going to give him the whole gospel. And we're going to go through, you know, probably the whole books of the Pentateuch. And we'll start Genesis 1. We'll go all the way. I don't know what he taught on but he went a long time. The amazing thing about it is if you look later in the passage, what does it say? Is after this whole thing happens and Eutychus is revived and everything, it says, Paul went back up, broke bread, and he conversed a long while until daybreak. Dude, this guy was like, focused, right? Nothing's going <laughs> to... I'm not even going to have a resurrection. Like, I can imagine if we had a resurrection here because somebody died because of my preaching. Like, I would literally be thrown off for a while. I don't even know if I could focus. But Paul goes right back in. All right, turn the page. Next verse. Like, that's pretty intense. He was a focused guy. That's, that's a pretty amazing passage. And Luke's like, I want to make sure people know this. Like, this is how passionate this guy is. He just, he went right back till daybreak. And so... Okay, from a, from a Gunther, and in, in, in my perspective, it's important to make sure that things, when um, Brian's teaching, for example, who's usually the teacher, praise the Lord, um, when, when, when he's preaching, we have a responsibility, we want to make sure everything's going well here, and, and, uh, and things are, are operating as they should, and, and people have what they need, and X, Y, and Z, um, and it says, uh, you know, but I think if, if, if Brian started making this a habit, like he's going five, six hours in his, in his messages consistently, and then he's like, that's not enough, we're going to go till daybreak, I'd be like, you know what, hey, Brian, can we talk? Because I don't know that this is going to be a good way, but nobody, nobody does that with Paul. Just, this is what happened, and Luke just records it, and I think for good reason. Is, in all seriousness, guys, they were facing life and death, Okay? The, the reality here is they were facing life and death day in, day out. They didn't know what ha- was ahead of them. They just knew, like Paul had that beautiful promise by Jesus, you're going I'm I'm to uh, suffer for my sake. And so I think when you're, when you're focused to that degree where your life is really on the line, you're, you're willing to stay up a little bit longer to hear promises from God. Amen? You're willing to go. And, and we're, in this culture, we tend to be on the opposite side of the spectrum, right? We're just like, get me out of here. The sermon's got to be a half an hour, and I got things to do. 
because this is why, you know, and I'm out of here. And we're, I think it's because, a lot of cases, that we're not facing the persecution that these guys were facing. But, it, but if you do, boy, you want to hunker down with the promises of God and like, Paul, give me another scripture. I need it, right? You just need it. So in the times when you get God waking you up in the reality of life when things happen, like somebody falling out of a window three stories up, it, it arrests you in that moment and you realize what priorities you have or should have. I should say should have, right? I want to hear the promises of God again and again and again. And let's keep going. Let's keep going because this is life and death and I need it. And I, and I think that's where these people were. Nobody was protesting. At least Luke didn't say it. Like, hey, Paul, let's take a break. No, they went right back at it. Let's go back in the Bible study because we need the words of God. They hold life for us. Okay, so who was there? And their possible reactions. Okay, a lot of stuff to get through. Bear with me. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Okay, Paul's reaction. He immediately descends, it tells us, and he goes to him. He falls on him, and he completely embraces him, and he begins what I imagine, it didn't say explicitly, but I would think automatically going to intercessory prayer. Did Paul, in all that we know from the book of Acts, we're in chapter 20. Do you think for a moment Paul just said, hey, I'll take care of it. I got what it takes. I'll take care of it. He's going to be fine. Or, God, <laughs> here we are again in that millisecond, those millisecond prayers of, Lord, will you please do something crazy because this is crazy and I'm dependent on you and I'm just going to go down and see what I can do. A lot of times that's reaction that, that, that we need, right? It's like, I don't know what God's going to do. I just know I need to go down there and I need to be present and just in case God shows up big, I want to be there. Amen? I just want to be there. I want to give God a chance to, uh, to move, and let's see what happens. And Paul, in his faith, runs down, and uh, three stories down, and gets to the guy. And it was funny, because uh, you'll see my little, I'm like, I, I just, I, I got that image. It's just, again, my sense of humor. Like, Paul's like, and, and, uh, and he's, it's, it says SPA, St. Paul the Apostle. Yeah, that's what that is. Um, and that picture, <laughs> that picture is, is kind of the scene. But you can get an idea, and I think fairly, that it's like there's upheaval. This just doesn't happen, and you're like, oh, and then read chapter you know, 21 after this, and then we just keep going. It's like, this is crazy events. And, I, and I'm thinking, like, what would I do if I was Paul? And, and, and I just got to believe that hopefully, Lord willing, I would just run like he did and start praying and see what God's going to do. Uh, especially if I was the one preaching, because I'd probably feel pretty, pretty uh, thrown off. So, is Paul superhuman? He's got a super God, and so do we. So run, run in there. I mean, God give you wisdom, but be available. See what God will do. At this point, you don't have anything to lose. The guy's dead. <laughs> right? I mean, let's just call it what it is. Okay. Second group, Paul's companions. Paul's companions, they were, they were listed, and it says they went ahead at Troas. Little did they know what was going to happen, but they're there, these men. I'm thinking, okay, what's going to be uh, these guys' reactions? And, and I, again, well, like Gunther and, and me, I was kind of picturing those guys as like assistant pastors, if you will, uh, bringing it into my context. Uh, just making sure everything's good, and hey, everybody has a seat, and um, by the way, we should probably open the window, get Aaron here, because it's probably getting a lot of stuffy, and then, and then watching, and maybe they felt guilty, because they didn't 
you know, see that he was struggling, trying to stay awake, and then fell out. And what would go through my mind in that as being a Paul uh, assistant, if you will, in this ministry? And I, and I thought, well, maybe I'd feel a little guilty. I might, I may be in shock, like I can't respond to this. The guy I just saw fall out the window, that in itself is, it can paralyze you, obviously. And, and then, obviously, they'd be trained by Paul. Let's pray. So just thinking about that made me think and dive into this scene of, of Luke's account. But regardless, uh, they're getting a crash course on how to respond in ministry. Sorry about that pun. <laughs> These are softballs, you guys. I was just resisting. There's 10 other jokes I could say. But they are. In all seriousness, they're getting a crash course on how to respond in ministry. Ministry discipleship is so important. And, and, and to be along and to watch Paul, I think the next time, if a serious... Uh, thing were to happen, those guys would probably just rush in and, and let's pray and let's see what God does. And that's a good thing. The next group, just the disciples themselves. Those that are assembled, that love God, um, that are there to hear from Paul. This isn't stated in the passage. This is just conjecture. But I think it's similar. Um, you know, again, guilt feelings. Maybe some rushed down too. Maybe some just stood there and screamed. Some just stood in shock. Some started praying. Some went to work on assisting. You know, what can we do, Paul. Uh, do, do you need anything? Let's, let's, or maybe there was another doctor on the scene. Luke obviously probably was on the scene saying, let, let me assess. Yeah, he's dead. There's nothing we can do unless God does a miracle. It's kind of a crazy thing to put your mind around. Um, but I will say, let's just take a pause real quick and just say that um, I was thinking about um, times when there's been something crazy in front of me and uh, not knowing what to do. And, and if you think about something like that in your life, I don't want to bring up traumatic experiences, but I'll, I'll tell you one cool story of how I was able to see God's hand working in the moment along with my wife and my son. It was actually not too long ago. Um, we were heading down uh, the 101, and you know where if you hit Shell Beach and you turn on that turn, a lot of times that's where the traffic, well, at that time, that's where the traffic would be at a standstill. You guys know what I'm talking about? You come around that corner and you're like, and there was always, in my mind, I need to leave extra space. And, and, um, and so I came around the corner and then there was, a, there was stop traffic again. And this, this gal, turned out to be a single young gal, she was on her way to work. Uh, we were in the fast lane and she didn't want to hit the person that slammed on their brake, so she veered left and ended up rolling. And it was really, you know, there's only two lanes there. And, um, and I watched her vehicle. We watched her vehicle in horror, just one right after the other, just rolling. But we, she was rolling along with traffic. And, um, and the amazing thing about it, the miraculous, one of the miraculous things, and you'll understand what I'm saying, one of them in a second, is that um, she didn't hit the center divider and she didn't hit the traffic on her right. So she kind of just kept going um, down parallel with traffic, but rolling in like this blazer or something like that. She had her, I could tell there was just, it was packed with stuff. So anyways, she ends up on her side, and I'll try and make this brief as I can. Uh, I pull over to the right, a bunch of people do. We start running to the car, and you could tell when, when I got there anyways, I just told my wife and my son, just stay here, and I'll see what I can do. And um, so I ran across the street, or across the freeway, and then it was smoking by that time. And while I'm going, you guys, while I'm going to the scene, not knowing what I'm going to find, uh, you know, what, what was going to happen, um, I look to my left, and there's a guy in scrubs uh, running to the, the same direction as me, obviously, to the car. 
I'm like, ah, oh, that's interesting. You know, in the millisecond, like, what does that mean? But it's cool. I'm glad you're in scrubs. I hope that's because you're a doctor. And um, <laughs> it, get this, it was. He was an emergency room doctor on his way to AG Hospital, I believe it was, right? I'm looking at my wife for a confirmation on this. Um, then we get to the car, and I'm like, she's yelling, like, help me. So I know she's alive. She can't get out of her car. She's up in the air. And the, and the emergency room doctor, he's like, hey, we need to get this car on its, on its wheels and get her out. I'm like, okay. So we start pushing this thing. Well, we need more help. I turn to my right, and here comes a guy. Now I'm seeing the smoke coming, right? I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. We have an engine that's smoking. It's on its side. We're trying to get her out. And, uh, and then uh, on the right came this guy, and he's running up in like these, um, like not camo, but that kind of coloring, and he's got a fire extinguisher in his hand. And he's like, and then I see behind him, and he's got like some friends that are like also working for, I don't know, the sheriff. I don't know what it was, but it was a blur. But I remember seeing, oh, praise the Lord, you have a fire extinguisher. And he just starts putting out the fire in the engine. Meanwhile, one or two other guys get to the car. We push it over. The emergency doc gets her out. The only thing that fell out the back of her car was a chair. So the, I kid you not, the emergency, the emergency doctor grabs a chair, sets it up, puts it in the middle, and says, just come here and sit down as we got her out of the car. To me, she looked pretty good. He sets her down, and he starts examining her on the spot. And he goes, you're going to be fine. And I'm like there. I'm like, okay, Lord, why am I here? <laughs> now, my poor wife is in the car with my son, and they don't know what's happening. And we had seen a movie the night before. That where the person dies in a wreck and the pastor prays over him and he receives the Lord. So she's thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to happen right now. He's there <laughs> to pray over someone like Paul and Eutychus. Um, she was fine. She had like a little scratch. The guy comes up and he's all, here's your cell phone I found. You probably need to call a loved one or your mom or someone to tell you you're okay. She gets on the phone. She's like, hi, mom. And I'm like, I'm trying to like encourage her like, okay. You are fine because God's protected you. And, and I don't know who you are, but I'm just here to encourage you. I don't even said I, I didn't pull out the pastor card, you know. But, but I, said, I said, God's, you know, got you. You're going to be fine. And, and you need to know that he loves you and he's got a plan. I don't know if I said all that. I'm making myself sound out really good. <laughs> it was crazy. It was like Eutychus moment falling out of the window and like, what are we going to do? Let's just run downstairs and see what God's going to do. And um, that gal was fine. She left the scene. Her car was okay. It was put out. The fire was put out. And it happened all, you guys, what, a minute, two, three minutes maybe for all that to happen. I got back in the car, and I'm like, well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, I need to get that doctor's name and make sure he stays close and, you know, all the time with me, you know, and we'll just go around and hopefully he's a believer. I don't know. And I, and, I, and I found myself studying. I'm like, I don't want to get distracted with this story. And why would I even tell it, God, to everybody? And I tell you this, that God's always working. Amen. And that was a cool ending to that story. This is about the ultimate, right? The guy dies and gets raised back to life. But, guys, we can't be as believers. God has ordainedly put us in situations. And mind you, I'm not saying run into traffic to be foolish or anything like that. I'm just saying that be open to the miraculous. You never know when God's going to use you or put you in a situation where you need faith 
And you're just simply saying, God, I'll do step one and lead me to step two. And if you want to do a miracle, do it. But I want to be there at least for there to be a possibility to see something miraculous happen. For your glory, for your name's sake. That's a beautiful thing that happens. So that's kind of where I started thinking, like, if I was a disciple, would I do something? Would I just panic? Would I say no? And I, I, I don't know. But every situation is different. I would just say that was one that came to my mind. So let's just go to the next couple things, and, and we'll, we'll close up with this. Uh, uh, young man, Eutychus, what was his response? I was there, God, for a Bible study. I was growing in you. I was committed to you. And you let me fall asleep and fall out a window. That's... Kind of what I was thinking about. What would go through Eutychus' mind? Obviously, he's knocked out. He's dead. He's not thinking about much. But after the fact, right? He's like, if you recounted that, you could actually go to God and say, God, you allowed that bad thing to happen to me, a good person. Or someone who deserves more. Anybody relate to that sentiment? In all honesty, God, I deserve more than this. I've been serving you. I've been, I've been going to every Bible study I can. I've been, I've been making sacrifices. And this is what I get paid for. I get I, I fall three stories to my death. You know, that could be, that's really, I mean, seriously, there's, a, there's that element of like, when we come across things in our lives that God allows for whatever reason, the reality there is you have two choices. One is you can complain to God that he's either out of control or doesn't know what he's doing or he's manipulative or whatever, or you can go in faith knowing, God, you have bigger plans than this than I even realize. And can you imagine if Eutychus, if you're like, hey, Eutychus, three stories, are you willing to fall backwards so that God can be glorified in a resurrection? He'd be like, uh, let me think about that one, right? I don't know. It's a tough choice. But I would say this is that after the fact, he certainly, I think, had plenty of reason to glorify the Lord instead of complain. And here's the ultimate glory-filled reality is that if you're in Christ Jesus, even though you're not resurrected bodily right now, you will in your soul be resurrected and you will be reunited with your body one day in the future, because it says it in the Word. So all of us have a reason not to complain. Because ultimately, we have the hope of our own resurrection. So in those times, we were really confused, perhaps even now, or more than that, not just Eutychus, but the next group, those who know him, his family, his friends, who knows how many family he had there. Can you imagine his mom or his dad on the scene in that moment, thinking, what would I do if I lost my son? While he's at a Bible, you know, just those kind of thoughts in this scripture, right? And I'm like, I would be more frustrated happening to one of my family members than for me. It's just that lack of control or that, that fatherly instinct or whatever. I want control. I want bad things not to happen to those that I love, especially at a Bible study, so to speak. So those are the things. If you go into the scripture sometimes, you're like, wow, Luke is good at the facts as a doctor, but if you go into those facts a little bit and kind of kind of dig a little bit, you can think through these things. And it wasn't just so, you know, packaged, so fine-tuned that, that you lose the power and the impact of what it must have been like to be there in these different places, especially as family and as friends. But they could also write, complain, God, I didn't sign up for this. Um, and then Luke, the writer of Acts. You know, how cool is it for Luke to be able to write an account like this? But he's so plain about it. And it really gives evidence of the fact that you can describe the miraculous like this when it happens in a, in a very factual way when you understand that God's at work and he can do the miraculous. If you're full of doubt and you're full of skepticism, 
and you're full of all this other stuff, you just elaborate, right, to try and convince people that it really happened. And Luke's just like, he's off to like, they went farther south. And I'm like, wait a second, somebody just fell out of a third-story window and got resurrected from the dead, and we're already going back, continuing the story on where he's traveling by ship. Let's go back there and stay a while. And you, you would think that if you were doubtful, like, ah, oh, did this really happen, or was he really dead, or all that kind of stuff, that Luke wouldn't just, he would just elaborate it a lot more in my mind anyways. And again, these are miraculous things that really happen, and we can take comfort from them, and what a beautiful thing that is. But what a privilege for the writer of Acts, Luke the doctor, to be able to talk about something as beautiful as resurrection. It is a theme. I want to leave you with a few passages that you can look up in the times should you experience these kind of type of things where you're confused as God. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, let's do Romans 3.23. There aren't any good people. That's heavy. And you're like, did I hear him right? Yeah, there aren't any good people. It says, for all of sin, all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Who can say, I don't deserve this to God? It says in the Psalm 130, uh, if you, O Lord, were to kept a, a record of sins, who could stand? And yeah, there's great people in the world, and we, 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 we have a, a judging scale by which we compare one to another. That usually means I compare somebody that I like to somebody I don't like and see they measure up. And yeah, kids get hurt. Some kids actually die. And I, and I don't know how to place that in, in, in all honesty in all, in all times of like, God, how do I understand this? But I do know that Christ has given us a solution to our sin wherever and however and whomever we apply it to. And he is sovereign, and he is good, and he is just. Um, the Romans 11.31, don't worry about that. That was a misprint. But Isaiah 55.9, uh, God just tells us flat out, hey, guys, my ways, my thoughts, they're unlike yours. If I allow something to happen, I have reason for it. And I have good reasons for it, ultimately. Uh, I think of Joseph, who went through just a bunch of stuff. And it's like, hey, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. We don't always understand that in the moment. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We have a high priest who's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. So let's boldly, therefore, go to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. That's what we're called to do as believers, no matter the situation. And we are in a community to support each other, to remind each other of these truths when we have situations that come up that you don't have an answer for, but you certainly have encouragement from the word to pass on. This theme of resurrection, if you go to the next slide, these last few verses, and then we'll have the worship team come up. Uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, um, 2 Timothy 2.8, these are all passages just reminding us that Jesus is alive. He is the first one to resurrect for eternal life and is the, is the um, trailblazer is what's used in the, in the Greek term. It's a trailblazing. And he's the first one to go that path to be resurrected, the first among many. And we will also, those of us in Christ, will rise again. John 11, 24 through 25. Jesus is straight out. Here's an encouragement to remind your own soul. I am the resurrection. Not that good luck with the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is who we run to because he has life. 
that goes beyond the grave. Romans 6, 5, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 3 is uh, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So no matter what, we will rise again. So don't be stressed on world events. Uh, certainly do not take the crazy events of life and run away from them. But embrace them as through the hand of a benevolent God who loves you, who loves you enough to die on the cross for you. And I might, as a worship team, why don't you go ahead and come up here for the last couple of songs of worship. But I would say to you guys, and, and um, for those of you who aren't sure about Christ's love or God's love even, or maybe you're just searching this whole faith thing out, I just want to encourage you with some simple words that God knows your journey. God is involved in your journey. He's involved in all of our journeys. Whether or not we give him credence as being Lord or not, whether or not you trust him of being good or not, he knows your journey and he loves you. He loves each and every one. He's not a respecter of persons. He loves everyone to the point where he's like, this blood is meant for you that I spill on the cross. And I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, come meet, come pray with one of the pastors up here, one of our leaders that'll be up here in the front as we worship these last couple of songs. Feel free. And for those of us uh, want to take communion, as a sign of our relationship with him of faith and trust and belief, even when it doesn't make sense. Um, then the, the elements are here, there, and then the back by the cross as well. You're free to partake. Uh, just make sure that your heart is, is good and you pray beforehand so that uh, you're in a good place to receive the communion, a reminder of God's love for you. And for those of us, let's just stand right now and uh, let's pray and let's give our hearts afresh to God. So, uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at a very amazing passage. Thank you that it's in the context of someone sacrificing for others to know you, to know the truth that goes beyond just our physical mortality into the spiritual reality that we all need saving. And we all who take refuge in Christ have a reason to celebrate now, even in the confusing times because you have purchased us, God. You have made us alive in Christ Jesus. You have forgiven us the sin that condemns us, and we are grateful. So help us worship now, pray well, commune well, support each other well, and uh, rejoice well in the finished work of Christ.